welcome everyone to the 45th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. Nick, what's going on, man? What's up, Dan? It's um, been again another crazy week. And uh, <laughs> the weather has changed on us. So it's kind of like everything seems to be lining up in a direction again together. The weather, the people, the world. Something so, I look forward to. There's a little bit of optimism in the air, but... Um, when you get uh, a message or a, a news release of a, you know, the Ontario government imposing restrictions, yeah, much more severe than what they were in the past. I think everyone's got something to say about that. But yeah, um, a lot has happened since our last guest was on here, um, and he's been working on a lot of projects recently. Mm-hmm. Been on the grind. We've seen him on Instagram. He's he's working late nights, looking at data tables all day every day. Um, this man doesn't need an intro. He was already on before but we're so happy to have you back here welcome back germinal van <laughs> thank you guys thank you thank so germinal tell before we go into the other stuff tell us about the last book you just did uh so yeah so the last book that i published it's called an economic analysis of uh, racial inequalities and the redistrib- and the, redig- the redistribution of wealth in america oh my god after i will say no it's okay don't <laughs> but that's it so your last book was on the premise of the okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, and basically what I talk about in the book is to say that, um, of course, you know, in a market-based economy, the wealth cannot be redistributed equally, but it could, it could be redistributed in an equitable way. And what, and what equitable means that you get the returns of what you've produced. Mm. So, you know, if I, pro- if I invest, I don't know, $100, I'm not going, and you invest $500, I cannot expect to get the return that you're going to have. I will only get the return that I invest for the money I put in. So, but I was saying that the problem, the reason why there's a big rift between uh, racial communities is because the government prevented mm-hmm. specifically Blacks and Hispanic to even have access to economic resources to build the, to, to build the wealth. Mm-hmm. Because it is impossible to maintain an oppressive system simply through market means. You can. Even the racist car dealer will not will we still take the black person's money. I mean, if you say, oh, it's white people only, you're not gonna make money. <laughs> exactly. If the black guy who has a lot of money say, hey, like I'm interested in that car and then and it's a rotten car, no one's buying it. The guy's gonna take the money, even if he doesn't like the person, and this is what exactly happened in the uh, 1840s, 1830s, 1840s, slavery was still a legal institution in America. And you have some people like Samuel Wilcox who were already millionaires. So how do you explain that in a white populated country where people let a Negro becoming millionaire Mm. at a time where slavery is still happening? You see what I mean? Yeah. Because the guy, the, so the guy was, um, he was a sailor and people do like, hey, we like what you're selling. Sure, they don't like the guy because at the end of the day, it's still mm-hmm. the 1800s. They still, they sure don't like his skin color, but they like the product that he's selling. So they put their racist bias aside and they do business with the guy. So it shows, it show literally that example shows the perfect way that if you... F- if you seek to create value for others, 
all physiological kind of characteristics kind of get put aside. Absolutely. And that's the base foundation of capitalism is supposed to be. Like Walter E. Williams says, serve your fellow man, and then you can neglect all those primal dynamics of theft and you name it. Absolutely. And, 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 that's, and, and that's what happens. That's, the, that's even one of the reasons why you have many Chinese who are migrating to Africa. It's not because they love Africans. They, they consider us as subhumans. But they come, they, they settle in Africa because of capitalism, because they, they, they're selling products and services that they know that Africans are going to buy. Mm. So, but the, the, the point about capitalism is that for capitalism to work, you need the market and you need government. You need government to ensure that uh, property rights is protected. Mm. But when you make access to property right complicated for some groups, they can't. It's 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 that it's the price ceiling factor, kind of like what unions do. A minimum wage does that. Uh, trade barriers and and all those things like price price floor. You mean Nick? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Price just, floor. Exactly. So it just yeah. they just they just make it everything more complicated. It's like a game. The more rules you add, people who don't know the rules of the game have a bigger uphill to enter that game and play it after. They don't realize it too at the beginning, by the way. Yeah, that's, no. that's that's the worst part, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, and you see, for instance, like when uh, they had eugenics, you know, at the time of you know Francis Galton is the one who created eugenics. That's why it's funny because um, statistics has a bad reputation. In fact, that's how regression analysis was created through Francis Galton. He was obsessed with measurement. That's a little bit how I am too. I'm not obsessed with econometrics per se, but it's more with measurement. So even let's say, even if I was in biology instead of economics, I would have been obsessed with biometrics mm-hmm. because it deals with measurement there. So I love anything that is with measurement. And but it's, like, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's like you, you enjoy precision. Exactly. Exactly. You got it right. Mm-hmm. So Francis Galton was like that and he was measuring everything and he wanted to see how uh, genetics affect uh, people's ability. And then in America, they expand on his idea and, and, and correlated with skin color, saying that, you know, black people are naturally inferior, they have a smaller brain than white, and et cetera. And that, and that was the narrative that was established uh, in American society. I even start the book by saying, by talking about, in fact, the um, historical analysis of racism that racism in fact is not based on skin color, it is based on social classes. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the whole concept of racism started way, way back, way back. And uh, it was at the time of Aristotle. And uh, people who were low income, they were associated with crime and poverty. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. And they were called black. Not because they were black by skin color, but because- Probably because they were dirty, very, very filthy, dirty, dirt <laughs> everywhere. No, 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 not no. at all. It's just, it's, okay. It was just that, you know, the color black was reflected as anything that was not good. Oh, okay, okay, like, okay, okay, okay. And then people who were wealthy, educated, they were called white. Mm. And those in the middle, they were called the red. So they were the army who were supposed, mm. who were meant to protect the nobles. Mm. So that's how society was structured. And then because the reason why slavery is 
especially in America, is because America is one of the first countries that had slavery with different skin colors. Mm. Back then, it was you know True. the dude may look like you, but exactly enslaved the guy. That the Romans, the Romans, gladiators were slaves. The only way exactly. to get out of slavery was to become a great warrior and have everybody exactly. get and get out of it. Exactly, and even the word slave comes apart from Slav. You know, the Eastern yeah. Europeans were enslaved by the Germans. That's exactly. where the Japanese enslaved Chinese. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like that everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. And in and in Brazil, a, a rich black person is called white. So someone like Pelé mm-hmm. is white to Brazilians, and a poor white Brazilian is called black because he's he's he's, he's broke. He has nothing. So we associate him with crime and poverty. So in America, they were able to correlate your social status with your skin color. Mm. So the darker you look, the poorer and the more criminal <laughs> you assume to be. And the whiter you look, the more the richer and the mm-hmm. more educated we assume you, you, you are. So, so, so that, that brings up a very interesting question. And we'll, we'll get into the sort of the economics and like what, what we what we think is the world is heading on in a second, but you know, the media always talks about systemic racism, right? It's like the hottest topic of the day. Every time people are, you know, anytime there's a situation you're in Chicago, right? I'm sure Chicago right now has been on an uproar given the event that happened with the cop shooting a kid, but you know, there's both sides that that are saying, well, that was entirely justified that that kid was a fool. Why are you out at two or three in the morning with a gun? Correct. And this is where you've got one side that's saying that policing is murdering kids. You have another side saying what you're saying right now, which is like, why is a 13 year old hanging out with gang members and holding a gun at 1am in in, in the morning, right? So I understand where that's coming from. Especially when the tension is up. Exactly. So what we're seeing now, what what do you think? What is it actually systemically? is, Is the system systemically racist? Or is this something that is, like you said, maybe a socioeconomic issue rather than a skin color issue. No, it's, it's the socioeconomic issue that was correlated to the skin color. That's mm. the thing. Right. Because the point was, you know, no one would ever respect someone who is poor. That's, that's what it comes down to. Mm. And unfortunately, when you look at the data, the poorest members of the national population are Black people. I mean, it's a... Yeah. Even if you say there's nothing racist about that's what the data shows. Yeah. So that's what it is. So no one will respect someone who has not who doesn't have economic power. That's what it comes down to. Because people don't understand that human nature, and that is why I am not an anarchist. And those anarcho capitalist, they don't get it. No, seriously, because human the greatest vice of human nature is power. Mm. That's the greatest vice of human nature. We always seek for some reason to dominate our fellow man. Yeah. And Thomas Hobbes was the most realistic. When it comes to political theory, he understood human nature. When he said the state of nature is uh, it's nasty, uh, dirty and rubbish or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he was, that's what he was saying. Like people are willing. That's why we are bullies in society. Mm-hmm. You see the guy has done nothing to you. You still bully him. Why? Because you want to dominate. It's it's part of our bestial instincts, you know, mm-hmm. like that's how we are. So when anarchists say, oh yeah, we're gonna voluntary society, no, 
there are always some Hitler around who mm-hmm. is waiting for the opportunity to, to, to smash the fuck out of your face. Sorry for cursing, <laughs> but okay. that, that's what it is. A hundred percent. Yeah, like, so... I and- you see, now that you said that, see, the thing is, like, what I've come to notice is that, for example, the impact of, let's say, Christianity and religion. The thing about religion is religion creates a form of creed, kind of like warrior creeds. The reason why warriors and powerful em- uh, warrior class empires or whatever, they did so well is because the elites and the warrior class of those empires abided by a creed that made them obsessed with f- operating and behaving in a certain way. If the thing is, I realize is that in our economy, we haven't evolved a creed that applies to economic principles. So humans are very, very economically chaotic by nature because they don't understand the dynamics of economics in their social reality. So there's a huge disconnect in their lives. If this is a big, if, because this is, this has not, I don't think this has yet to exist, but this would play on type of the works of like Friedrich von Hayek, where if we could do something like create a parameter where people had an economic creed, kind of like how the Bible has commandments, how warriors had a creed. If people could have like economic parameters that would be integrated, cultured, nurtured in our society, people could grow up in a world where people understand why it's important to respect your fellow man, to respect his property, but, why it's important to produce and so on. But if we do that, we will have no more politicians and intellectuals who will advocate for social justice. <laughs> <laughs> they will be out of work. <laughs> they will never let that happen. Exactly. Oh, no, absolutely not. They will never <laughs> let that happen. Why? Have you ever seen a politician that comes and say, when he, you know, a politician campaigns, have you ever seen a politician that comes and say, if you want to be successful, make sure to get a high school degree, make sure you don't have a criminal record, make sure you take whatever job that comes your way to build your professional experience, make sure to build a credit score. You don't see that. You see always the same guys. You see different guys saying the same thing. What I think I would I eradicate th- poverty, I would eradicate unemployment and et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think I just want to interrupt you. I think Trump might have been the only one. If, oh, you, look, if, if, if you look back on it, right? Mm-hmm. Again, this is a this could be up for debate, but I think Trump was probably the only one. And maybe that's because he's not a career politician. He comes from a business background. He understands how people think. He understands how people interact with each other. And that's what he was sending to the to to you know his message to the people. And it's funny because he always talks about like, you know, the way for a country to be successful or the way for a country to prosper is for its own people to experience success. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it does not resonate with a good portion of other people on the other side. They don't like that message. I don't. It's the baby, the welfare mentality. It's, you know, it's because people, you know, human beings want results without putting the effort. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, um, everything is based on pleasure and pain. Mm. People want pleasure without experiencing the pain. Mm -hmm. And that is why... That defies nature, by the way. What is it? It defies nature to do that, to behave that way. It defies nature. Exactly. And and, and that is the reason why it surprised you that, you know, what Trump says sounds so logic and people don't appeal to his logic, although it's the most uh, reasonable things to say. Like a country, a society cannot develop unless 
the people and unless he has a strong human capital that's what it's about at the end of the day and people don't people want to have material wealth without yeah. putting the effort effort and sacrifice required to to get that material wealth it's you know back in the day alchemy with the the law of equivalent exchange you cannot yeah. produce something more than you put into it yeah it's so like for example this is where a lot of, i think that a lot of the like manipulation of the fed and the way we've allowed too much credit expansion in the economy is people can just borrow endlessly consume endlessly without having actually learned how to work your way into your consumption you can over consume far greater than you've been able to produce, produce in your life okay. so you know like and people are growing up in this culture it's been something like the last 50 years because of the credit cards and the massive credit um, uh, so, uh, credit expansion of the government well banking system but you know it kind of correlates yeah so it's like we're, we're, we're skipping a step and our culture is regressing as a consequence of our defiance against natural order you know like it, it's creating chaos in humans yeah yeah because it's uh at the end of the day like it comes back to uh Keynesian economics, which is based on demand, you know, yeah, it's exactly artificial. It's like you, you exactly. create uh, certain conditions to stimulate demand rather but, than mm-hmm. applying sales law, which says that uh, supply creates its own demand. Mm-hmm. You know? I find, I find, see, so tell me if you agree with this. Like, clearly, we have, as you say, we have an issue with consumerism, and by nature, we love to consume more than we like to produce. I find that our obsession as a society, especially from a government's perspective, is that we obsess too much on GDP. And because we don't want GDP to get lowered, we don't allow ourselves to incur temporary pain and, and, and f- issues in order to actually solve it. Because if we wanted to solve temporary short-term problems, we would have to, by default, forego our obsession of the GDP numbers. Because if we're fixated on always expanding our GDP, well, we can't fundamentally solve problems because to fundamentally solve problems, it doesn't necessarily directly produce a short-term increase in consumption. It'll fundamentally go towards uh, projects, business, innovation, uh, education, but those those things won't produce short-term GDP expansion. They're just going to provide fundamental solutions that then will ripple into a better growth, which will then reflect into the GDP. It's like we want a high GDP, so we'll do everything we can to manipulate the market in order to ensure we can sustain the GDP. Rather than say, let's coordinate the market, let's expand the market efficiently, properly, in a way that's sustainable, and then we'll have a sustainable growing GDP that reflects in a healthy way. Yeah, and that's why we call uh, it's called indicative planning. It's Mm. It's when, and that's why I've been telling a lot of like uh, Austrian supporters that central planning is it's done. Like you know, it's uh, central <laughs> planning. It's uh, no seriously like learning central planning in Austrian economic. It's like learning about communism. It's more like you learn it for uh, for academia. You know, mm. just as an idea that has existed. That's it. But when it comes to practical implementation, yes, it's, it, there is no use. Like today, except for North Korea, that is completely central plan, centrally mm-hmm. planned. Even Venezuela start to implement some privatization now. So the minute that you have privatization, there is no longer central planning. So what we should focus on, as you said, is 
integrative planning, where the government believes that it doesn't need to control the whole economy to show its power. It just manipulates market factors, mm-hmm. making economic agents believe that they're the one in charge of it. So you see, um, and, uh, and, and I definitely agree with you. Um, the, the GDP needs to be lowered temporarily. Mm-hmm. And in order to lower that, you have to indeed implement supply side economics. You have to give power to, mm-hmm. rather, not, I, I was about to do my neoclassical theory. You, you have to give power to, um, to individuals, mm-hmm. to let them pursue their self-interest. Because at the end of the day, when someone pursues his self-interest, he ends up succeeding because it's what matters to him. Mm-hmm. You know, when you treat uh, situations as life or death, it's either you or the other guy. You're gonna make sure that you know mm-hmm. you, you definitely prevail. So, as I say, like government should increase access to economic resources, specifically for for minorities, because I, I was looking at the data and Hispanics are the one that have the most. They have the highest rate of new entrepreneurs. It's amazing. They contribute, yeah, they contribute a lot to the economy. Like it's ridiculous. And these people and population wise, it's a matter of time before they, they, they outpopulated the white community. Mm. So it's important that government deregulate a lot of uh, policies so that people will have access to resources because when they have access to resources, it's more people that are, that are being lifted out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Opportunities, optionality. Exactly. You know. Exactly. You have your company, you hire someone, done. The guys are salary. So, so here's a question. How do we get rid of that illusion of the government is there to help? Because unfortunately in Quebec, where, where Nick and I are from, um, we're Very a welfare, much a welfare. Yeah. We're, we're a welfare state. There's no yeah. question about that. 70% of our population is living on welfare. Right. And if you talk to these people, their mind is set on the fact that it's been like this for generations. I would say for the last like three decades, maybe four decades at this point. But um, how do you get how do you get them to switch out of that mindset? Because what they're actually doing is they're hurting their long term potential Mm -hmm. and they're actually putting themselves even in more poverty without even realizing and it, then right? they're burdening the more productive people which is a smarter group of people and by putting more burden on them they're more likely we to gotta either, work more <laughs> they're more likely to either move away more they're exactly. more likely to move away because they don't want to deal with the burden or that increased burden eventually brings them back down so it regresses the middle class and then it burdens the youth and the poverty class and it makes it even harder for them to climb up the social economic ladder yeah i think uh, Milton proposed the negative income tax, where uh, it's it's, it's kind of like the UBI, but instead of the U, because the difference between the negative income tax and the UBI is that the UBI, if the government gives you, for instance, 100 bucks, you have to pay back 50. Mm. With the negative income tax, you take the whole 100 bucks. The government is paying you in full. So I think that helps to some degree. But of course, you, the welfare set has to be eliminated in the mm-hmm. first place. You cannot That's have it. You have to, negative you, income tax. Yeah. You have to naturally, you you, have it's a cultural kind of expansion. You can't, it can't be switched exactly. around. You have to naturally yeah. create a, a, a system change that takes time to incur. 
It's crazy because she, yeah, you know, and I think like, and yeah. no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was about to say, so the, the welfare set, it has to be eliminated, but how do you eliminate the welfare set? You cannot eliminate it brutally like that. Mm-hmm. It would be too radical. Yeah. You first have to uh, decentralize it. Mm-hmm. You eliminate the welfare set at the federal level. And then you now you will see the the, the 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 burden how it will shift on states, and you will mm-hmm. see that a lot of states will not be able to sustain a welfare state. So many states will start dissolving. You know they will start reducing their welfare programs, and then that that's how you do because with women, if you just talk to them, they will not listen to you. You have to act. You know you have to implement. You have to implement some policies that will make them feel like oh shoot. Like yeah, exactly. Because a lot of people are not in tune with the macro or in the economic reality. So the only way for us to yeah. really shift perception is by making them understand it, by experiencing it, feeling it, exactly. making the reality change around them. So they have no choice but to accept that that is the reality. Exactly. And yeah, that's the only way for them to understand. Because if you go and you preach free market principles, they be like, I don't care about your free market principles. Mm-hmm. That's very true. <laughs> you have to, yeah, you have to compare them with such a system to first get rid of the federal welfare state. That's the first, that's the first, that's the first uh, step. And then you let each state drone itself into, you know, to debt. That would be our province. Course, that would our province like would be like California would be able to, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. A state like California would be able to sustain a welfare state for quite a period of time because they're very wealthy, but a state like Texas won't be able to. So, you know, um, so it, it really so here, depends on uh, here. Here's a question for you yeah, from, yeah, United, go ahead, from, go ahead. from a perspective of looking into the United States. So, as we see everything going on now with. Because like from the from a lot of the stimulus money that was printed from the government, two of the biggest states that created a lot of the social economic burden on the economy was California and New York, because they're the ones that did the hardest restrictions, the biggest shutdowns. Um, they have some of the highest cost of living. So their burden, when they did the stimulus, a lot of that package money was going to those states, the states that caused the most amount of economic consequences. They're the ones that got the largest amount of funding. So I'm trying to speculate in the sense that do you think that there is room for some of the states to say like texas like florida to say i refuse to become burdened by the federal debt that is being primarily incurred by socially economically incompetent states who refuse to abide by economic principles do you think there's a realm of possibility in that there's room but the question is will they do will they want to do it Mm. because the government Let's be honest. Uh, the government literally subsidizes states. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's about. Because it's like you work for a company, you have a vision, and let's say you work for a company and you've been there for twenty years, and you know you've been there for twenty years, and you kind of see the so you see the company growing, and you start developing a vision of your own for that company you're working on, although you're not the owner, and then you go talk to your boss about it. And your boss doesn't like it. What do you think is going to do? It's going to fire you. <laughs> it's going to fire you. So it's still, it's the same like states, although some states see what's going on, they don't want to talk about it. It's the same with the police system here right now. You see some really bad cops doing bad things. And you see the good cops who don't talk about it because 
Because then there's internal conflict. That's, you know, exactly. They're like, yo, you don't turn. We don't turn on each other. You know, mm. it's that's unfortunately how it is. It's it's very honestly, it's very hard to dismantle a system. Once there is a system that is established, no matter what system that is, it's very hard to dismantle it. And the United States specifically loves this the notion or the concept of system. And the reason why Americans love the concept of system because system is about coordination. You know, it's about because system at the end of the day is about planning. It's about planning. Like, hey, like you do this, I do this, and everything. Engineering, is cool. engineering, mechanics. Exactly, engineering. And Americans love the system. They're obsessed with the notion of process. Mm. Control Very process. Simple. What's it? Control process. Yeah, control process. Like you will see, yeah. for instance, in a company, this is just a uh, hyper, a, a hyper yeah, yeah, yeah. example. You will see in a company, a, a CEO or the owner of a company rather have an employee that may not be that skilled, but follows the process mm-hmm. rather than having an employee that is extremely skilled and does it on his own, never mm-hmm. follows the process. Because you, it's, you can't, it's not predictable. Exactly. So yeah, that's where Keynes, Ameri- that's where I think Keynesian comes in because it's predictable by nature in the sense that you can predict the outcome you want by moving the pieces you need in order to get the results you want. Yeah, but the problem is that it it most of the time it doesn't work. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, most but, of the time it doesn't. But work. when you ask them that, they won't accept that. Oh no, yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> they they they, they want to accept it because it's. Uh, because the and the reason why they won't accept it is because they spend too much effort and resources on it. Yeah. So when you tell them that it won't work, it's like all these resources I spent on it was for nothing. They won't accept it. It's uh, that's what I was telling you guys last time. It's, uh, you should measure uh, the outcome by the opportunity rather than measuring the opportunity by the outcome. Mm. measuring the uh the uh the outcome by the opportunities the entrepreneurial way mm-hmm. you don't know what the outcome will be so you go by the opportunity available to you and you see where it's going to lead you compared to people who uh, measure the opportunity by the outcome they know what the outcome will be so they select what opportunity will lead them to that outcome they they envision and most mm-hmm. of the time these people become disappointed mm-hmm. because they don't reach the outcome that they the end for it because of uncertainties there are a lot of things that you don't know that may happen it's like someone spend like save a lot of money to create his own restaurant and then COVID hits yeah exactly done it's here montreal montreal is by nature a massive tourism city tons of restaurants tons of this it has been decimated wow decimated it's we had it's it's an a montreal is going to be a different city from here on out it we've was, had, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've had, we've had probably the most uh, carnage with regards to restaurant and that's really the lifeblood too. Right. And now uh, there's a situation, you know, the annual event of the Grand Prix brings in billions of dollars into the city. They're talking about getting rid of that too. So it's like, you know, what, what's going to happen? What's going to be left over here? There's a lot of people on welfare in here in this city. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the cost of living keeps going up, which it's like, well, and then the, the res- this is the perpetual cycle we're always in, especially in the Western society is government creates an environment that creates chaos. That chaos then creates 
a desire to go back to the government to seek them to solve the problem that they initially created. Yeah. And then they say, yeah, no problem because they have a hero complex. They want to be the hero. We'll take care of it. Then they cause another problem on top of the other problem. And then we're just at a perpetual cycle of problems that are expanding. Yeah, that's what Milton Friedman always said. Like, government implement policies that fail, and then you call for government to do CPR on that same policies that they implemented failed initially. No, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a it's like a cycle. Nobody's <laughs> it's, aware. It's like oh, we're yeah, cycle. No, what's the Cerberus? The serpent that eats its own tail? What is that? <laughs> exactly. It's just. I, I, I think like. Even today, it's. I think it's. It could be easier to make people understand that they don't even need government anymore because you know now you can make money on, on the internet, mm-hmm. and you can create like multiple streams of income for you. And I was there was a there there was a coaching that I was watching where like they're showing results. There's like an eighteen year old kid who made about like hundred k just from selling products on Amazon and stuff like that. And this is, you know, and, 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 and the beauty about that is that you don't even need to move like physically to do that. Everything is on the net mm-hmm. and you know, you just. This requires a and, mental capacity to just exactly move forward with it. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, uh, in this uh, digital economy, more people are becoming independent now, I think. Um, Today you can create like your virtual company. Mm-hmm. And that's why on my Instagram, I've been advocating for people to learn how to code mm-hmm. because coding is becoming the new alphabet. Mm-hmm. And that's how things will be written now. Robots are coming. People are <laughs> even trying to create robots that will become lawyers, literally. <laughs> and it's true because all you're gonna have to do is say, well, here's my problem. It has a database, it can analytically figure out what it needs to do, and it'll just regurgitate it. Since since we're speculating, right? There is something that I was listening to that guy called Observateur. Uh he's a French, uh he's a French podcast who lives in India. He he lives in the United Kingdom. Man. He yeah, hates feminism and stuff like that. I, I love the guy. He, uh, he's a liberal. And he was talking about something very interesting. He was saying that if there was, if there was one thing religion never predicted or failed to predict was the rise of artificial intelligence. What if Jesus comes back as a robot? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> no, but it's very true. We don't, wow. Especially going, the younger... Really because because he, was, he was talking about the power of science. He was saying that like, all you need is a mad scientist who will be able to implement- Look at Dr. Fauci. Conscience into robots' mind. Because, you know, because what makes the difference between us and robots is that robots don't have a conscience, they have a database. Mm -hmm. So they don't sleep, they don't do anything. They don't know between uh, good and bad. But the minute they're able to distinguish between good and bad, imagine mm-hmm. that we are here polluting the environment, doing all sort of things, and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to do? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? But it's true. But that's like uh, <laughs> they, they can be like, okay, these humans. But because the thing is, we haven't figured out how do we mitigate the risk, right? <laughs> or how do we mitigate you know? how do we mitigate the capability of a machine learning process to not reach that level? 
it's it's but you're I, saying like we don't know when that threshold would ever get crossed like, or how it would get crossed where, and, and, and that's where and, and that's where that's where government power will be necessary to implement legislations that will prevent because that that's as i said i'm not an anarchist like you need government mm-hmm. to some extent of course the chicago school you, you you there's there's exactly. purpose for some limited school Ex- exactly and that's where government power is necessary because if the market is completely free on that domain because that's what the market is heading to mm-hmm. we're already in the digital world people will start creating like pension funds online Cryptocurrency is is up. It's just a matter of time before cryptocurrency becomes the currency. Once the government realizes that it has to become legal tender, it's game over. So everything will be done online. Mm. People will be creating pension funds, mutual funds online. Everything will be online. So that's what I'm saying. Like, just imagine like a mad scientist somewhere, crazy math geek is able to figure out how to implement conscience in robots mind it's game over maybe honestly it could just be a matter of time because i because at the end of the day machine learning is about learning as much as it can over a certain period of time <laughs> what if machine learning just has not been able to yet experience enough cycles of human nature so it has not yet learned it but once it experiences enough human nature cycles where it actually learns from those cycles, then it understands where the mechanics of human nature, whether are good or bad, and whether it yields good outcomes or positive, uh, bad or negative outcomes, sorry, positive or negative outcomes based on those cycles of patterns. Yeah. So it could just be a matter of time because- Yeah, it could it- be a matter of time, but it's something that I really thought about, like, hey, what? Because, you know, we talk about, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Sure, but if he's coming back, he's going to cause the robot like Terminator, man, and smash y'all, man. <laughs> like, shooting all people, like, what have you done to this planet? Like, you guys are messing up so bad. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's not, but this is just me speculating. But yeah, 100%. Honest, it's strong. We have, the honestly, there's, there are, there are variables. There are variables that support that. Yeah. No, no, and that's where and that's where the economy is heading to. Like today, the economy, the world economy, is in a K shape. Yeah, you know, let's let's talk K-shape. let's talk let's talk about this because I think this is really important, especially right now. Um, yeah, we highlighted it too with uh, UBI, right? Universal Basic Income that's coming in Canada. I've been I've been predicting yeah. this for the last seven months. It's it, it's on its way. There was a press release last week saying that the government is going to implement that. Yeah, the liberals are heavily talking about it. It's because think about it, it's the hero complex. It, it's a solution to the problem that they've caused to the economy. It, it, exactly. So, so this is where we're heading right now. An entire sustain like people are people are going to be bought into the this vision idea. of the anointed Thomas Sowell book, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's talk about That's that. That's what talks about. Yeah. It's mm. like- so yeah. So, okay. so so is He's this talking about um, is this the solution or is this just the how do I say this a means to another bad outcome? A, 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 no, a, just like a small remedy to a much bigger problem mm. that nobody's talking about. It's definitely not a solution. I don't think there's <laughs> any solution. They're always well, there's I no there's no history to prove that either. Exactly, and the universal basic income. I am not, I personally don't support it, especially if they're trying to do that and maintain the welfare state. It mm-hmm. would be bad. If at least they, they get rid of the welfare state, then let's see how it goes. Because I, I can't also say it would immediately be bad. Like 
we need to see how people experience. To me personally, I believe that we acquire knowledge through experience. I'm, I'm definitely an empiricist. I don't do a priori. That's not my thing. And uh, I think in Cali even in California, there's, I think there's one county where they try to implement that. So we have to see how it goes, but it would be a really bad idea to implement the UBI and the welfare and to maintain the welfare stake. Oh my God, that would be laziness on steroids right here. <laughs> that would be laziness on steroids because it see, will completely decrease labor productivity. See, here's my fear. Yeah. When you take when you take the UBI concept, like, okay, I get the UBI is, is a different mechanism than the welfare state. It sounds great, by the way, on paper. It sounds yes. fantastic. <laughs> my my oh, yeah, my sure. issue my issue is the human nature of the youth because the youth is the future. If the youth are now growing up in an environment where you can stay at home all the time, you can do everything from home, the government just gives you money. I feel like that the moment that there's a challenge where they have to go outside that they have to deal with people, that they have to deal with a network or try to prove themselves, that the UBI still has the same, that there, it still replicates certain principles of the welfare mentality that it makes you feel like, mm -hmm. well, I'd rather just be given day money and I'll stay at home and nobody bothers me. And it'll yeah, yield I an unproductive nature that'll ripple into the youth who are already growing up in an environment where we're supporting a lot of unproductiveness. So no, I, I totally agree with you. It's uh no, I totally agree with you. And 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 that's what is scary because with those endless restrictions, especially in Europe, because at least in the US, I don't know the level of restrictions you guys have in Canada, but in the US, ex thank God the restrictions are not national. So yes, California and New York may have like stronger COVID restrictions, but for example, where am I in Chicago? We don't have like businesses are opening again. Uh, but in Europe, for instance, like the youth is, I think the youth is doomed. Yeah, Italy. Like yeah. Italy, the south of Italy is 100% dependent on external tourism. Oh, yeah. It's like Greece. Done. It's, yeah, it's like Greece. Like most of these Mediterranean countries, we call them the pigs. You know, um, uh, yeah, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Greece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, they... That, that, that's all they that's all they know even in uh, southern italy they call them like mezzogiorno which Mezzo means like midday yeah yeah exactly mezzogiorno yeah. they naps instead of working whereas northern <laughs> italy they, they, they actually work but they have the, because think about it you have the beach at your disposal it's like here in canada or north america our desires work 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 escape to go to a beach so you can relax that means I already live on the beach. I don't need to dream outside of my area because I can just sustain myself every day, work till I die and have the beach out next to me for the rest of my life. And what you're talking about here is interesting is what we call economic geography. Mm. And it's Paul Krugman field, actually. I hate Paul Krugman. But uh, the point is that, you know, sometimes the geography is of a country prevent people from being economically uh, progressive, efficient, progressive, progressive yeah, or efficient, progressive. Exactly. Yeah. Because even when you look at African countries, that's literally what it is. It's hot there all day. In most sub-Saharan countries, it's mm. hot there all day. Uh, you know, people are always out. I, I, I watched like a brief interview of an African, in fact, he's a Senegalese uh, intellectual. 
he said something that was very powerful that made me think for myself. I was like, he was like, most of the African intellectuals that we know, the best work they produce, they produce at when they were in Europe or in America. Why? Because in those places, it's cold. It's <laughs> cold, you stay home, you use your brain to do things. If they were, if, if they were back in Africa and they, and they were married to an African woman, the noise, the, hon, my brother is sick. Please, you need to give him money. And mm. it, it, it doesn't end. You cannot mm. focus and produce. Mm. But in European and American countries, like that's what happens. Like a place like Minnesota, it's cold all day. So all you do, you're home and you intellectually produce things. When you go to a place like Germany or Nordic countries, it's it's cold there all the time. So what people want to do is to produce Mercedes. Compared to Greece, it's hot there all day. People are on the beach every day. It's the same with Southern Italy, the same mm-hmm. with Spain. That's why those economies are lagging because... You can support that actually by thinking about from like entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs yeah. who, if you want to be successful, you have no choice but to, because your time is finite as a resource. So you have to be efficient yeah. with your time. If you spend every day of your life doing things that don't produce the outcome you want, like always going out, always partying, always chilling, this and that, and you don't spend time narrowing in and hustling, then you won't produce the outcome you want as an individual. So as an individual, it should reflect the same principle as a collective dynamic as well. So I think we lost oh, him. You still there? Still, yeah, yeah, he's still Oh, yeah, okay, sorry, sorry, you're good, you're good. But yeah, yeah that's I'm- it. So like from the way you said that from an economic perspective, it, it, it reflects in individual behaviors. If yeah. I don't spend time doing what I need to do in a, my bubble to intellectually build what I want, then I won't get the outcome. So, oh, as yeah. a co- so the collective economy reproduces the same outcomes. If the majority, it's the weighing machine. If the majority of my economy, it's because it's like a team. The way I look at an economy is like a team of people. You are as weak as your weakest link. So if your team players mm-hmm. keep regressing by nature and getting weaker, then your economy is going to get weaker. If your players on Absolutely. the board are getting stronger I, I, and better, you'll have a better economy. I, I can't even take my own example. I remember before moving to the U.S., I mean, I was also younger too. But when I was living in Ivory Coast, like when I was in high school, dude, I was always out with my friends, drinking, smoking. We all were, by the way, like just drinking. Right. Actually, I, was, I wasn't, ironically. Nick's the only guy. <laughs> I, was, I was alone. I, was, I had friends, but I never went out. I didn't drink till I was like 20 years old. I didn't smoke till I was 21. Wow. I never went to a party. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, I was that kid. I, I, I used to be, because like, you know, I started writing books at 18, but I could never finish it. Because every time my phone rings, yo, German, where you at? Yo, we gotta <laughs> go, man. There's a movement around there. Yo, let's go. Let's make moves. Like, every yeah. time. So it's it's hard. It's really hard. Even like when I talk to my mom on the phone, we cannot have a conversation for two minutes without her being interrupted. Oh, okay. You see, that, that tells you Too how- much noise. Noise. How the, the level of distraction there. But, you know, this- those things seems like irrelevant, but they're very important for production mm-hmm. or, you know, for division of labor and production. That's why uh, Western countries are very advanced because the climate here that you guys have is in favor for you to focus and get the work done. 
and it's very and it's very obvious when you look at South, like like Mediterranean countries compared to Germany, mm. compared to England, compared to Sweden, Finland, you know, all the Scandinavian group there. It's it's so obvious because the colder you go, the 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 colder the place is, the more productive people are. The hotter it is. I, I don't want to say lazy, but I would say the more attractive. But it's true, though. I feel lazier when it's really hot. I, I want to yeah. play devil's advocate here, though. But I, I do agree with that statement. It's a, it's a little bit more harder to focus and concentrate in the summer. You want to be outside and whatnot. But uh, I'll give an example right now. Look at Dubai, right? Saudi yeah. Arabia. I think there's something going on there that, you know, for the last, I would say, 20 years, if you look at the developments that have been happening, that is a very strong economy mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I agree there's a lot of wealth there so again i'm playing devil's advocate but here, here. but here hold on, but hold on, you know, on. yes I agree. i'm playing devil's advocate here but you know when 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 you have a situation where you have people in that part of the world who are doing extremely well doing a lot of great things they're building an economy there's a whole crypto world out there as well that's mm-hmm. thriving how do you explain that you know, well, why, why is it that the Saudis can get a, get ahead versus, you know, maybe again, I know one of the answers is going to be, it's about resources, but you know, if we're on the topic of argument, if we're on the topic of weather, like how is that different than somebody who's in like the Mediterranean aspect or Europe for that matter? That's actually a really, that's a very, I, I have a, a really tricky argument you make here. I, I like it, but I yeah, I was about to argue. Nick, hold on, hold on. I want to hear yeah, what Jermo says. Go. I was about to argue first on the <laughs> on the basis of resources because one of the reasons why you know the the Arabian Peninsula is pretty much advanced is because they were they're able to determine the price for their own resources right compared to African countries who have a lot of resources but they don't transform them hmm. they African don't transform their resources whatever resources they have they just sell it and then is the con is the countries like Europeans, Americans, Saudi, they're the ones that the prices, yeah. and they sell it back to Africans at the price <laughs> that has tripled. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it it's is. True, yeah. Now, in terms of in terms of weather, like it's I don't know, it's um, it's it's really tricky. Like how they do it, I don't know. I I okay, think of it this way: over there, they don't have beaches the same way they do in the on the Mediterranean. That's true. And secondly, I think there's also this is they have a lot of wealth from the oil expansion. And yeah. so when you create a lot of wealth, you get a boost of ego. In order to maintain that ego and that strength you've created, you have to stay innovative and competitive. You have to, or else it gets decimated. And oh, they yeah. have a huge sovereign wealth fund. So I'm sure the competitive nature of the Western cultures, which has allowed them to create that wealth, has is rippling into their culture in allowing yeah. them because if you go to the Mediterranean, Italy, or whatever, they don't have that culture. To the, 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 the competitive nature of innovation and competition does not really exist. It's also so, a much older population in Italy. Yeah, of course. So I think that there is that oh, component that might be Nick, also. By the way, uh, go ahead. Nick, you know what? You know what? If there was one branch of economic you would be great at is cultural economics. Mm. You're really, really, you have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to cultural economics. I think I, like your next books, you should dig deeper. <laughs> but you see, in, that's the thing like cultural economics, like how 
cultures impact like, the variables? You know, like how, um, no, yeah, how culture impact economic outcomes. Because mm. when you, and that's what Thomas Sowell pretty much de dedicated his life to. Like he even wrote a book called uh, Conquest and Culture, Culture and Conquest. It's like a 500 page book where he mm. explained how your attitude was able to determine your economic outcomes. When he was, mm. for instance, explaining how like when Jews came in the United States, why we, we even talk about that last time I was on, on, yeah. the, on the platform. When Jews came in the United States um, in the early 20th century, like they were not that smart, but it's what they do at home. Mm -hmm. Jews have a culture, you know, people say, oh, Jews are dominating the world. Perhaps yeah. they do, but they do it for a good reason. <laughs> they teach their kids, they teach their kids about money. Mm -hmm. I, I, I listen a lot to that um, Jewish mat mathematician. His name is Robert Alman. Then you should definitely listen to him. He's a master of game theory. Yeah. He explains and he talks like he, he makes a correlation between game theory and the Talmud. He's a deeply religious man. That, right? that resonates with our people, by the way. Right. And he explains. will understand everything. That's exactly. Going on. He explains that, that, how, how they train their kids, how Jewish people train their kids from the very get go about money. When like a Jewish couple, then they have like money issues. I don't know about the mortgage or about whatever big expenses. They don't tell the kids or oh, go away. No, they make the kids listening to it so that at a very young age, they already understand what's going on. They teach, Jewish people teach their kids to give back to the community. They teach the kids, if you hear that you have a fellow Jewish brother or sister who is opening a business, invest in that business. Mm -hmm. Support. Like, you see, this is cultural stuff. Yeah. No government, nothing. No, no. this is just them doing the doing and and it's funny because when you look at the most powerful family on earth the Rothschild this guy like uh, I forgot his first name but the, the first Rothschild created the banks yeah. of the Rothschild bank in Europe like in Germany Italy France and England and he made sure that each of his kids govern each bank in each country and they were associating themselves with powerful Jewish other Jewish people who invest in that. And the funny thing is that Jewish people were not allowed to have land. They were not allowed to do agriculture at a time where agriculture was the dominant thriving yeah. source yeah. of income. Yeah, like yeah exactly. It was the foundation of most economies. And, and, and that is why, if you guys know these Jewish people are not farmers because they were prevented. It's true, they were prevented. Mm. So that's why you see most Jewish people being in finance and managerial positions mm. because they were deprived of you know having land and doing farming and all of that and there's, there's people who say oh jewish people are so smart uh, to, to me here's the thing human beings are not pretty they're not predestined to anything no we are what makes human beings special is that we are free will mm -hmm. when you know when something is predestined it means that like for example a phone the phone is predestined what, what is predestined predestined means that you have a function the phone has a function. It's meant to call and to text. The welfare state is kind of like a predestined type of co concept. Exactly. But human beings, we don't have any function. We are free will. That's why you have people who succeed, people who mm -hmm. fail, and some people go to jail. <laughs> who have been predestined to, to, to go to jail? No one. Oh, yeah, this guy was born, he's going to go to jail. No, you don't know that. What takes you to jail is your actions. Mm -hmm. it's also you... the it's also the environment too. yeah of course yeah exactly yeah the environment you're, you're in that's true 
Correct. Like what, what makes you become successful is your commitment to the idea you're pursuing. Mm. What makes you not successful is the fact that you quit. You know, it's, it's all free will. So, and, and that's what the Jewish community was able to do. When people say, oh, Jewish, the great mathematician, because they teach, the way they teach the Talmud to those kids, they condition Jewish kids to involve themselves in intellectual activities at a very early age. There's a, there's a thing that goes, it's easier to train, it's easier to develop strong children than it is to change broken men. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It's the whole nature of, of it's, but you see, that's the thing. Culture is a parameter to me. The way I see it is if you, if culture by definition is a social construct of parameters within your mind that tells you how to behave and now not how to and not and how not to behave, which is the same premise of what the 10 commandments are, what the warrior creed is and so on and so on. The law, when you create a strong cultural parameter around the youth, you are allowing to elevate them beyond you. And that's the premise of what the past was, was make sure the youth are stronger than you so that you have a better tomorrow. But in fact, you're absolutely right. I think, Culture is the is the foundation is the foundation is the fundamental parameter of any economic outcome. Mm -hmm. Why the black community is even poorer than they were during Jim Crow? Yes, we can say yeah. Okay, the black community, yeah, slavery, all this slavery rhetoric, of course. Uh, you know they were disadvantaged and blah blah blah. But when look at black culture specifically in America, parents don't teach their kids at night time how to read have you done your homework and stuff like that engage there, with them no, yeah there is no uh authoritative figure at home there's no dad you guys know about this like right? you know and these so, are actual statistics but yeah way. exactly yeah it's a sing, single like single mother taking yeah. care just like it's with five different men thomas Sowell is huge and walter e. williams are huge and, on those things exactly walter williams and thomas so they, yeah. they, they made a lot of studies on that so you see like a single woman, like she, she has uh, children with different men just to collect like uh, welfare paychecks and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, how do you expect your kid to succeed? Mm -hmm. You see, that's the premise of the welfare state creates, um, yeah, it, it, creates, yeah. Yeah, but I, I will, but, but I was coming to your point, which is culture, mm -hmm. the cultural mm -hmm. parameter is to inculcate the values that will prepare your child to continue mm -hmm. the work you've built on. That's what it's about. Even like, you know, sometimes people blame like rich people, right? When or some people say, oh yeah, like Trump, he got a 1 million from his dad and blah, blah, blah. True, but he could have blown those 1 million away. It's not because he got 1 million from his dad that it was granted that he was going to do well. Sure, it's an advantage he had, compared to many people, sure. Like $1 million is a lot of money, specifically- Especially back then. Yeah, back then it was a lot of money like to, yeah. to start something. Sure, he had that competitive advantage over people, but there was no guarantee that he was going to be successful. It's the same with Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin, I, I, I admire this man a lot because Ken Griffin, sure, he came from a wealthy family. He had the, the, the opportunity and, and advantage to go to the best schools in the United States, specifically Harvard. But Ken Griffin invested in himself too. He was, he started coding at a time when no one knew about coding. Computers were not even that popular yet. It was still a typewriter. Mm -hmm. Ken Griffin was, was already doing things 
that people did not know Ken Griffin was thinking 20 or 30 years in advance. That's why he's a billionaire today. <laughs> it's crystal clear. I mean, it doesn't fall from the sky. Like it's, it's work. He did those things and there was no guarantee. How, how did he create his edge fund? He was talking about a derivative strategy with his friends and there was a hedge fund manager that was next to him who heard the strategy. He was like, hey, what this you? kid is this kid is on something. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm going to give you I'm 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 going to 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 give you a couple thousand to start your thing. That's how he did it. So so the, you know it, it's all about culture. It's all about culture. It's about uh, continuing what your what what your forebears started. Mm -hmm. And then you have people like George W. Bush, like who is who tried to start his own business and deliberately failed. George W. Bush, him was a special case. His dad helped him a lot because if it was just him by himself, he would have achieved nothing in life. George W. Bush, honestly, was a failure. He couldn't do stuff on his own. Daddy has to be there every time to do things for him. And that was also the case for JFK too. The people like that, and then you have people like Donald Trump who they, they fight. So you give them a little bit and they take off on, on their own. They go on their own. So it's not given that because someone is rich necessarily is going to succeed. The people who are rich and fit. It's, it's, it's really interesting too, because um, that topic always gets brought up as to like, you know, Oh, and especially in any city, it's like, Oh, you know, somebody is building something. They're building a very successful business. And the first comment that comes out of people's mouth always, it's like, well, yeah, his dad is rich as fuck. Mm. And it's just like, Okay, but like, like you, to your point, uh, Jermil, it's like he had an idea, he executed on the idea, and he delivered on that idea. What did you, and, and the question is, what did you do? You know? exactly. but most people, most people just get offended when you say that, and it's just like that's just the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. So I think what we're all in agreement in this in this little episode that we're doing right now is, I think we all believe in equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's, that's a given, but what we don't believe in or what we don't agree with entirely or fully to, to the extent is equal outcomes. Yeah. Right? And, and it, because it, if it, everybody had equal outcomes, the welfare state, what, what's yeah, the point, it, it, what's the point of doing what I'm doing every day. Right. What's you the point of doing, doing, you eliminate individuality. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the genius is individual. That's, that's the whole point. It's yeah. a, it, it, uh, equality of outcome is, is not possible simply even like Take a game just same outcome siblings don't have the same outcome mm -hmm. like my sister and i we both want to create our own businesses like each of us like, i have my business she has her business you basically get what you invest it's mm -hmm. it's it's the law of pareto it's part it's it's pareto optimality you basically get what you, you what you invest in so we cannot have the same we have like the same father the same mother we both have a quality of opportunity. We both went to school and made sure that we did our studies and graduated and everything. But that it doesn't guarantee that my sister and I will have the same outcome. Everything depends on what your vision is, where you want to go, and what effort you're willing to, to, uh, to exert to get that outcome. And that's what makes 
a growing economy or capitalistic dynamic, fantastic. Absolutely. Because you see, the thing is, I relate it to a sport team because if every single, let's say we take a soccer team, if everybody was a forward, you'd have no middle, you'd have no defense, you'd have no goalie, your team can't, doesn't, you have no team. But mm-hmm. every player, even though they're all different players, they all have their own strengths and weaknesses, but as a unit, they create a fantastic team. So and that would replicate that would replicate in the same dynamics of an economy. The economy is made up of millions of individuals, each pursuing their own results, and as a collective, while trying to serve your fellow man, create value, solve problems, you're then helping others as a consequence. Absolutely. And the thing here is this is here, but this is more in terms of economic cycles, is that without this creed or this strength in the culture as a collective, we tend to have more cycles of booms and busts because we don't have a sustainable culture that allows us to sustainably expand our economics because we always have conflict between each generation, and each culture. We haven't found synergy yet. So there's no equilibrium. So we can't, we can't sustainably expand our economies since we have no equilibrium between anything within the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's, it's, so let's, let's finish it with this. Where, Speculate on what you see the future happening based on everything going on socially. It's such a broad question. It's so loaded, Just, Nick. It's, <laughs> it's speculation. Where do you see things moving forward for North America or on a global scale? On a global scale, I mean, it's the digital economy. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what you need to know. I even I wrote a paper uh, called like Equilibrium in a in a two-sector model where I talk about the physical economy and the digital economy and where the equilibrium hits. And uh, you see that uh, the physical economy, you know, like transportation, barbers, restaurants, you know, people basically leaving their homes to go to work, that's a physical economy, is going to keep declining. As you guys know, like by 2030, more jobs will be decimated and new jobs would be created online. That's why I said coding is the yeah. secret. You know how to code, you can create your app, game over, done. The tech industry is becoming- A utility. The, the, the kind of new government. They're yeah. the one starting, they're the one that, that will now start to control all kind of speech. I mean, you guys see? already see with Facebook, you know, yeah. speeches and stuff like that. So we, we, people are creating apps for everything. You want to order something, you, everything now will be based on reviews. You will go, um, I don't know, you want to buy something, you see that commodity has like 15 bad reviews, you're not buying it. That's how people will make decisions now. Everything, and, and it's, it's not just in North America, it's everywhere. Even in Africa, like uh, remote work is becoming the, the new way of working. Many companies say, oh, yeah, like we're going to go back to normalcy, but honestly, there's no, normalcy. no one would go no. back to work five days a week, to the, to the office five days a week. Because people, people realize it's the travel time. That actually takes a good chunk of your day. You're, you're actually more productive now yeah. think, than, than we were. Exactly. Like, but like, well, the question after. becomes, is, is it sustainable? That's the issue because humans by default are social creatures. So there's this issue that I see from a, from a social perspective is if everybody starts to isolate themselves, how will that ripple into their mindset into their productiveness, into their desire to do more? Because if you're always at home, you get bored. Like I've been bored out of my mind this last year. So I, I, I have to force myself to find things to distract. And I'm lucky though, because I have a network around me. 
Yeah, but the, the but the thing is, you know, this matter it's a, it's a very I think it's very individual. For mm -hmm. instance, on that matter, I'm the total I'm the total opposite. Okay. I love working from home. I'm not going back to the office. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really enjoyed like the, that's why you see me on Instagram. I'm so active. Like you're like, how this guy produce all this? Because I'm working from home. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't have like, you don't have to travel. It's exactly. the same thing with it's the same thing with me, to be quite honest. Exactly. I don't yeah. have that, I don't have that commute part that takes a chunk of my day. I work as a data analyst full time, you know, eight to five or to six after that i eat and then i come mm -hmm. on my personal computer and do my other stuff but what if i was working in downtown chicago i have to wake up at like what five shower take the bus go to the train get in the city around 7 38 ish work and then you get to the office and when us and when your salary you're not paid by the hour but you pay by the salary so it means that generally you stay beyond five o'clock you can be there until eight. You have to take the train, commute again, all the way back to the burbs. No. And, and by the time you get back like home- Like you said, it's your, it's, finite, it's your finite resource, right? Exactly. And yeah. by the time you get home, it's 11 o'clock. You're tired. You didn't even spend time with your wife or your kids and you got to go to bed and then wake up at five again. That's not life. <laughs> That's not life. Like we've, I mean, personally, I love- remote work personally and i don't even need to necessarily interact i mean don't get me wrong it's imp it's important to interact with people like human beings are by nature social animals we need physical contact mm -hmm. etc i agree uh to me the social contact is more like you know weekend you go out with your mm -hmm. girl the restaurant you see people that's fine but when it comes to work personally i enjoy being home whatever zoom meetings we have we have and that's it mm -hmm. like, yeah. So I, I think I, at this point, it's more a matter. It's a personal matter. But mm -hmm. Nick, I, I understand your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, more because there, there, there are people that spend a lot of time just on the phone or in front yeah. of a computer. Yeah. And without work people around them, they, they, they spend eight, nine hours alone. Yeah. Day exactly. after day after day after yeah. day. So then it's like sometimes you just want to talk to somebody and no, not no, everybody no. has the same social presence or, or, you know, like, so that's why it's like, it's, it's a risk factor that I'm paying attention to. No, no and, and you're right. And, 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 and to even uh, expand on your point a little bit, what is funny is that a couple of years ago, I would have been in your situation. I would have shared your sentiment because in college I used to be extremely social. I could not be by myself. In a room. It's You're a like me, man. Yeah, I could not be like. <laughs> I have to. Then be. you realize there's so much. I think it'll relate to this. There's so much power when you're by yourself, though. Oh my it's god, actually, yes, it's actually insane. And and especially, I mean, in my case, I, when you know, when you write books and stuff, that's what you want. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. You're you're, you and you're too. like, let me crack the hell out of this. <laughs> but yeah, like, but yeah, like, but five, five, six years ago, I would have been. I would have shared Nick's position, like. I can't stand being by myself for nine hours. Even an hour like college, I would go crazy. I call my friend, yo, where you at? Uh, yo, we got to make moves. But today, yeah, let's hang out now, son. I have to finish this work. <laughs> you oh, see how funny it is? So, uh, I wanna, so I want to ask you something to play off the last thing is for the digital economy concept thing. Do you think that it would be smart if the government were to say, in order to improve the opportunities of the people, especially from an encoding perspective and in the competitive nature of applications. What if we said 
in this environment, the government has its own app store where its own people can create its own apps and then upload it onto this app that is owned by the people, by the state, by the, the collective people. So this way you don't have to go through Apple, but you can go through uh, the people's type of application where you can upload your apps and you can share with your fellow citizens because it's kind of like the same concept of like a, a library. The library, nobody goes to it anymore. So why not create a digital version of a library store where citizens can have access to books and information at no extra cost? That's actually not a bad idea. It's just, I'm just looking from an opportunity perspective. We already pay for so many things. Why not allow people to get access to all the books online from a taxpayer? So if I pay taxes, if I have a database that every single citizen in Canada or United States can access... Cool. That's equal opportunity. Everyone has access to it. And nobody can deny that now. Yeah, no, I agree. If you want to compete with apps and stuff like that, if I have a app store that is owned by the citizens of the country where we can freely upload apps as long as it respects certain guidelines or whatever, other than that, free for all to compete. But if you go through it, because if we're going in an environment now where Apple controls a significant of the market, they can do whatever they want and that'll remove the ability for us to compete yeah. on in that world. So yeah. maybe that's a plausibility that we could expand on in order to help competitive nature in a digital economy, because yeah. if not, the digital economy will be too controlled by certain monopolies. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And no, I, I, I 200% agree with you on, on, on this one. And, and that's a trick about the, 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 the digital economy. Because the gaffers are already the when okay when if you take society in a digital way, the gaffers are like the government, executive, legislative, ex- executive, legislative, uh, judiciary, and then a fourth branch, which is generally the media. So that's mm-hmm. how they control now because they're the one that control literally the, the, the digital economy for everything we do. So, and monopoly is the antithesis of free market. Mm-hmm. And I think the digital economy is moving. It's like taking us more toward like anarcho-capitalism in the sense that it is, uh, everything is controlled by corporations. Mm-hmm you know, and that could be dangerous. Yeah. That could but be really dangerous. That's why, like, because this is new for history. Like humans have never experienced this evolution of level of evolution in the economic perspective. So it's like, and this door is only being opened by a select few doors, but we don't want those doors to be permanently controlled by them. So if we need to mitigate that, why not allow taxpayers as a whole to own the ecosystem through which we can put apps out so we can compete with other fellow citizens? Why not be able to have access to an, a digital library where all the citizens have access to as much information on an equal opportunity basis? You know, so it's like, because these are things we're going to have to develop and we're going to go through a lot of mistakes as a society because this is brand new stuff. And, you know, the thing is that government is so backwards when it comes to the digital economy no seriously they have no, it's trouble no no it's true prehistoric <laughs> times with government for sure yeah co- compared to the tech industry government is backward like those guys have trouble catching up what's going on they can't keep up 
But I think it's because they don't have access to the same. They don't look at the world the way the youth look at it anymore. It's, there's, exactly. a, there's a different, dis, there's no alignment. They grew up oh, in yeah. an environment where they didn't have that. Yeah, exactly. When you look at like Mark Zuckerberg, like testifying before Congress, he's talking about this. They're like, what is this? You know, like Senator Ted Cruz or Senator Leahy, they're like, what is it? Like, they have no clue because they don't know. So like government is really backward in general, like when it comes to, to the digital to the digital economy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, even if they create, let, let's let's say they implement your suggestion, they create mm-hmm. this like people's app where people have access to the digital library, the GAFAs will create something even better than that. It's true. But it's true because the thing is with the state is it never innovates after. It, the moment it implements it, and then it says, keep paying me, but I'm going to keep the money for social justice projects rather than reinvest it all the time to keep updating and innovating exactly. and, and improving. Exactly. So but that's, that's a cultural, that's a, that's a flaw of our political culture. Yeah, because, but, but it, it comes back to this. Don't forget that. And the reason why government never innovates is because government doesn't own. You don't, whatever you don't own, you cannot innovate because innovation is responsibility. The only thing they own is the taxpayer at the end of the day. Exactly. And, 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 and that's the thing. And that's why I've been strongly for private property because when it's your thing, when you know that you own it, it's your thing that you created, you will take great care of it. Milton Freeman always say, no one will take better care of your property than yourself. You own it is for you. But when it's a resource that I own, then owns, you, Nick, you own, and many other people own. Who's responsible for it? It's yourself. Yourself. Exactly. But the point is that since we collectively own the thing, no one is responsible for it. Mm, right. No one will make the decision to take it to the next level because no one will, will want to take the it's, risk it's, and pay the consequences. A, it's, of, an interesting, of, it's a very interesting dynamic because it always... Right? But... but, but, but and that's why socialism always fails. That's the, the, the essence of the failure of socialism. Because I, a, a resource that is that is collectively owned cannot thrive because we all own it. No one is responsible for it. But when you a resource that is privately owned, only you know what effort and resources you invest for it to grow. That's why Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. I think we could find a way to merge that by saying, what if... <clears throat> We created an environment where every citizen becomes a shareholder of the collective economy from a political perspective where let's say we have, for example, um, the you app store. Like, you, you, you sound like Richard Wolf right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> not like that. No, no, no. I'll, see, I'll show you what I mean. So imagine the concept where let's say you have the app store. So every citizen of the country is now in a way connected to that app store because it'll benefit them. So what if then we said, let's apply the same principles of business dynamics and said, we're going to elect an individual whose job is to be liable to the people in order to ensure that innovation and optimization maintains the priority of that app store. I don't think it's like a bit like a CEO type happening for centuries with government. We elect someone mm-hmm. that is going to fulfill our will. Yeah, but I don't mean it that way. But I know, but I know, I know, but I don't mean it that way. I mean it more in the sense of like a business where I'm electing a CEO 
that is going to be rewarded like a CEO and is going to be held responsible by the shareholders. If shareholders are disappointed, shareholders can do so more I, than I typical. Wanna, I, I want to intervene here. I think that's what the whole idea of democracy is, right? Yeah. So when the leader of the country is doing a terrible job, the voters then at the voting poll decide that's, that's the form of democracy that we have. Yeah. The question now is, is that a whole illusion? I think this is another entire discussion for another time because we could go on for hours about this, but <laughs> I, it, it's just, you know, the, everyone talks about, we, like one side is always saying, we need to dismantle the system. We need to restructure it. And the other side is saying, well, no, we have a system. Why don't we become better as individuals and help reward ourselves for the production that we come, uh, you know, we, we bring to the economy. So um, I don't know. It's, it's a crazy world that we're in guys. There's no question about that. And I think the only thing you can do is to continue on working on your own individual projects yeah. with the team, having these conversations that we're having right now, um, and sharing ideas and not be shy to tell somebody that they're wrong and have yeah. a debate about it. Right. Yeah. I, actually to, to, to respond quick to Nick's, um, shoot, 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 shoot. I, I, idea, you it's know, speculation. I, I, so yeah, I, I know. I agree with them. Like it, it comes back to the same political, context of democracy and the voters, blah, blah, blah. But what you're suggesting is that you say for business, but the thing is, I don't think it will work because the, the privatization part is not there. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. It has but, to be private. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. It's, go ahead. It's, it's, it's weird because like at the same time, it's like every citizen will feel the, the benefit or the lack of benefit. You know what I'm trying to say? Is if I like, like, for example, if I know that every single citizen in this country understands that, let's say for the library thing, okay? So you as your job is to ensure that that library stays up to date. It's always on trend with the new topics, the new trends of the economy, the new social dynamics, uh, as much history as possible, this and that. And if us as a people realize well, you're not doing your job, then I can... I can do, I can apply same business dynamics. I can find a way to collectively bring the shareholders together, get you out. I can hold you responsible. I can even do things like what they do with CEOs to say, well, we're going to reward you in, in cycles. So if in four years you do well for us and you show that there's a progression, that there's innovation, we will then reward you in four years accordingly. So you have to produce an outcome for you to reward, to be rewarded by the people. But then they wouldn't so, be in politics. What? Yes, <laughs> that's what I was, I was going. <laughs> and, and, and and we come and we come exactly to. This is literally the best way to end this episode too, because <laughs> we literally said, "Well, then politicians would not have a job." Politics, <laughs> <laughs> of, you know, public choice theory. People will use log rolling and rent seeking to create wealth for themselves yeah. without benefiting to society. But yeah, no, no it's it's honestly we're going into a new realm. A yeah. new reality, and these are a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that are going to have to be thought out and developed. And the issue is, I feel like there's not enough people that are having these conversations. I think I think we should we should make another episode again, guys. Of course, literally talk about this. I'm down. I, I sub we, we sometimes got to keep Nick on a leash though because he goes on. <laughs> yeah, because but... it's basically because what Nick is talking about, maybe without realizing it, is politics in a digital economy here. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. That's what it's about. So, yeah, like, that could be that? that. That would be a cool conversation to have. Hundred percent. I think. No, I, I agree. I, 
I love, I love how we just left it at that, but terminal. Thanks again for coming on, man. This well, was thank great. You guys. I really appreciate it. Always. I'm always learning from you as well, because there's such a wealth of knowledge that comes yeah. out of this. And I know that Nick's a huge fan of your work. So yeah, exactly. Great work, man. Thank you guys. Oh, Nick, by the way, I'm going to read your book uh, in my next reading set. I mean, since your book is shorter. So. No, yeah, yeah, no rush uh, there. Honestly, when you do read it, I, I, if you want to talk about it, I'm super down. Yeah, I'm, dev- I'm going to read it and, you know, I'm going to give a, a do, critique of it. You critique know? as much as you want. Definitely, definitely. And, like, uh, and thank you. And, re- and thank you so much for giving me your book. I really appreciate it. Then thank you for having me on you guys' platform. It's mm. always an honor, and I'm looking forward to come back again. Of course. Because you guys have so much fun. Thanks, man. <laughs> no, awesome. We appreciate you having you on, and everybody who's listening, thanks so much for, for thanks, guys. the time to listen. Thanks, we'll see you next week. Uh, thank you.